Hey guys, this is Anna with 12 Questions. We are back and uh, we are going to continue our part two of Lena Epstein, which I'm so excited about. And Dave, can you just go ahead and read that beautiful clarity statement for us? Sure, we're doing it again. As always, this is 12 Questions Podcast. We're a podcast that believes that growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Uh, the purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and each other. We're not affiliated with AANA or any 12-step organization, and we don't have any opinions on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves. We're just two people that happen to be in recovery that want to learn more about other people. Some of our guests might be clean and sober, uh, but some of them are not or choose not to divulge. So that's the best I could do from memory because I don't have the clarity statement in front of me. But you guys get the gist. We're 12 questions. Be kind to each other and learn together with us. Yeah, you get it. You get it. How excited are you about getting into this second half here? Uh it's the to be continued that a full house episode always had where you're just like, dang it, I want to know where this ends up. Yeah. You're going to get to hear it here in just a little bit. Yay. Okay. Let's get to it. (laughs) Hi. We did it. Oh my God. If you, I hope you guys, um, if you do resent me for forcing you into a four hour long podcast recording session, I do hope you add me to your 10 stamp inventory. (laughs) No, no, I, no resentment at all. We're loving this. I, I remarked to Anna, it's, uh, that's what you get for talking shit about cisgendered sky daddy. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cis karma. Um, I love it. Aww. Yeah. What is one thing that you're, or actually, how do you experience fear and anxiety? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> Next question. Um, so, uh, so much of my, what I see, realize now is gender dysphoria manifested as panic disorder and, and anxiety. Um, especially when it came to like dating and stuff. Um, I would have these episodes where like, especially dating early on, we as, you know, um, addicts or extreme thinkers can have a lot of anxiety or butterflies, you know, that classic, like waiting for them to text you back. But, but I would involuntarily, like truly, if I had a choice, I wouldn't have, but my body would take it, like my cortisol levels would take it to such an extreme where like I would text a guy I was newly dating it into while I was at work. And one, the moment I sent the text, like the anxiety would start to build cut to like 20 minutes later and I am across the hallway from my cubicle at where I'm working in one of the unused like corner offices of the floor that hasn't been fully filled out and staffed yet door closed behind me curled up in a ball hyperventilating on the floor and I was just like just I just have to live with I just got to move through the pain and discomfort and it's like no I actually was having a panic attack because my entire sense of like validation as a man and like it was so t- it was so wrapped up in in another man that i desired seeing me as a man mm-hmm. and their potential rejection on an existential level 
meant that I like didn't exist. It was that extreme mm-hmm. um, because of the dysphoria that I didn't realize was dysphoria. I just thought it was like, well, I guess I just have really extreme butterflies, you know? And it's like, no, I was afraid that I didn't exist if this person didn't text me back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, that's very much, that's very much what I've gone through being when I was yeah. single. Yeah, definitely. And it's, uh, it's also, you know, I had a panic attack on stage a couple of years ago and I had a therapy session the next day at a clinic that also had a psychiatry component. And I basically just kicked down the door and I was like, okay, this is rock bottom for this shit. I'm not, li- I did not get clean to feel like there's tigers in the room when I'm doing yeah. something I love. Yeah. And like, I totally yeah. get that. I totally get that. And, and society does tell us that our worth is what, some dude says it is which is crazy (laughs) and i was the other thing too yeah i was dating the sweetest most gentle kind guys like Mm -hmm. it was i was so sick um and these guys were so sweet um didn't matter um, but anxiety to me today is like managed psychiatrically and, um, hoping that like, as I transition, um, I will continue to have less and less anxiety about moving through the world and like engaging romantically with people. But the nice also silver lining of quarantine is like, I don't, I'm not in a space to be dating anyone right now. And I don't. I, I can't. <laughs> I just get to know people through Zoom and at meetings virtually. And that's so beautiful is I just like get to spend time like focusing on like emotional intimacy with friends and people. So that's on the back burner. But yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, too. It's with any relationship and moving forward in the recovery. It's just like. Man, I until I learn to love me and whatever that it is that I'm doing, like I can't accept love, I can't accept roles. I, you know, it's just it's a whole big pile of shit for me, at least, you know. And like I, I'm working on a lot of things and accepting love and you know my current relationship and just it, it's hard for me just to be like, oh, this person loves me, deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Uh, it's a quality problem. That's a good problem to have. Oh yeah, it's a Cadillac problem. I that's I like I like calling the good problems in recovery Cadillac problems. I heard that like early on. I'm like that that works for me. Yeah, yeah. back when Cadillacs were worth something is right. when that phrase was born. <laughs> oh no, Dave, apologize to our sponsor Cadillac. <laughs> the new Escalade 2021 will park for you and it runs on veggie fuel. <laughs> I love Tesla it. Tesla problems. Ooh, Tesla, Tesla problems. problems. That's the new update. I like it. Mm. What yeah. is um, a character defect you're still working on? I know you're 80 some odd days in the process, yeah. so I'm sure it's yeah. like whack-a-mole, but. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, this is the last like anecdote that I really wanted to bring up and it's a bit of a story, um, but it is um, truly wild. I told you about it, Anna. And um, it's it's one of those things where, one of those times where it's like a character defect 
isn't necessarily a defect if it's applied in a new context or just in a way that is different. Um, and for me, that... My sponsor always prays to remove the defects that prevent me from being of service. Yeah. Yeah. So this character defect is um, is anger. And um, anger historically is a feeling that's been really hard for me to access because I, growing up, equated anger with rage. So anger has never really felt safe to feel or express because it, in my head at least, it, it ramps up to and immediately jumps to throwing things like physical altercations, violence, you know. Um, but what I'm learning is that anger is just an indicator that something needs to change and it's either something in my attitude that needs to change or something that I need to take action on. And, and usually the, it's a combination in my experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And anger and what I'm learning, and I'll tell you through this truly wild story is, uh, is that I can channel that anger into, um, it's like a, it's like a source of power. Like, it's like, you just have to generate, you have, you just have to, to process it through the generator and use that anger to m- motivate action and push change um, if change needs to be made. And and the experience that I had, I hope it's okay that I'm sure we're running long because we just are having a good time. Yeah, um, do is you. It okay? Take all okay. the time you need. Okay. If, if we have to make this a, a, a two-parter with a to-be-continued in the middle, we'll have, we'll have a two-parter. But I want Okay, you to as long as, as you guys are having a good time. Take as much time last. as you need. Okay, so, um, so this was really like valuable and I'm so grateful I had this experience early on in my living as a trans woman is I went to an intensive outpatient program through an LGBT center that was wonderful um but um but I had a conflict with a um a member there I'm going to rewind first to tell you about what life was like when I first moved to Houston for like the first few weeks here before the pandemic shut everything down. I was, I was like feeling, feeling myself like, like going to meetings at like LGBT clubhouses here, like doing fellowship. And um, one of the kind of miraculous cool things was like um, the first meeting I went to here right outside the clubhouse I recognized someone and it was a guy that I'd hooked up with in LA who I had a really great time with. And at the time, neither of us realized the other we were both using. And it was one of those things where like, we hooked up and it was like against all odds, this like really nice time. And we ended up having like a long conversation. And it was one of those things where it's like, you're someone I would want to actually know. But then timing didn't, you know, it was just bad timing and we were both sick and didn't see each other again. Fast forward like a year later, I'm like, Oh, hi, what are you doing here? And he was like, Oh, I'm from here. Originally I moved back here to get sober. And so, um, he and I, uh, we were going to meetings together and he took me to this like one year sober birthday anniversary party for this gay guy, um, at this house. And it was, there was like maybe 20 to 30 people there. And uh, we were in the kitchen 
and uh, someone commented that they liked my hair and that it reminded them of their niece before she transitioned. And it was a weird comment because it, it was like, thank you, uh, thank you. I mean, like <laughs> I am, I am, at the time I was still using like all pronouns and identifying as non-binary. And I was like, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I identify as non-binary and, um, this guy at the party um, who had met, who had chatted with a little earlier on briefly because he lived in New York and I lived, I had lived in New York. And we were like, oh, like, did you go to this meeting or that meeting? And he had like a thick New York accent. He turned around in the middle of like 10, 15 people in the kitchen while we were milling about snacking. He, the moment he heard me say I'm non-binary, he turned around and he was like, now, let me ask you something about that, because isn't they, them pronouns? That's plural. And also, are you going to get the surgery? Whoa. And it was like, um, <laughs> that's a in lot. Hindsight, in hindsight, <laughs> I, fu- I fully dissociated. And I went into what I call with my therapist now, dissociative trans delegate mode, where I just like shut off my feelings because I was like, cannot process this, vi- this like rhetorical violence that's happening at me. That is just so funny, to by be the way. Very informative and be like, actually, that's not a question that's appropriate to ask people that you've just met. And it's really private and also problematic because in general, when we focus on people's genitalia, instead of like learning about their lived experience, it really reduces trans and gender non-conforming people's lives to a body part that often isn't really relevant to what their lived experience is. So I was just like being the delegate. Mm -hmm. I went into delegate mode and he just, I mean, he wasn't being mean, but he just didn't get it. And he was like, okay, so, so, but like the pronoun, isn't they them plural? And it's like, you know, it, it was so awkward that he cleared the party And it was by the end of this like 10, 15 minute long conversation, I was literally cornered in the corner of the kitchen with my friend, everyone else had left. And I was just like panicked, like explaining like why it wasn't okay, what he was doing, what he was doing. And my friend was like, hey, so we have to go. I just got a call. Um, My dad needs to borrow the car. And he like saved us from that. Wow. So um, that was a nightmare. Uh, And flash forward for months I'm in IOP and it's like the third or fourth week and it's all through zoom and um some new people entered the group and because the IOP group just cycles through so like people are graduating and and starting at all times on a weekly basis it's like a two-month program Mm -hmm. and so um every every day of IOP which is four days a week uh we would do check-ins at first so everyone would go around and say their name their pronouns um their sobriety date their feeling word and like there's usually a question prompt and so this is like week two or three um we're going around and i say henry which I, the name i was still using at the time she her they them uh sobriety date is july 27th and one of the new guys in the group interjected and said now let me ask you something about that because isn't they them pronouns plural and also does that mean you're going to get the surgery oh my god was it the same guy or just the same questioning it was the same guy Uh... (laughs) and i 
went into dissociative transdelegate mode again. And I, I literally said like the same exact thing. I was like, actually, it's a really inappropriate question to ask. And because it really re reduces, you know, and dehumanizes, blah, 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 blah. Saying all the right things that like- Had you realized at this moment that it was the same guy or were you just responding yes. in the same oh, way? Oh, yes. Oh, no. I knew it was him immediately from his accent. I hadn't recognized him immediately from his face. But the moment he asked me the same exact question- now, let me ask you something about that, because I was, I, I, it was uh, uh, unbelievable. And the, the, the other thing was, like, he clearly didn't recognize me. And I, it's not like I had, like, changed my appearance. Like, I was still the same person. He was just asking the same question to, in his mind, another person. Um, so I panicked. And it got to the point, too, where, like, he was grilling me, and the therapist interjected and, and was like, you know, um, Ralph, we'll just call him Ralph um, because that's his name. Uh, Ralph, uh, you know, it's it's actually something that you should, if you want to learn to be, a you know, an ally to trans people, it's something that you and your therapist and you one-on-one -on -one can, like, educate yourself about. She had to, like, interject because it was just going, like, it was just never going to end. Like, I was just going to keep panicked like explaining to him and him asking like inappropriate questions so I was so checked out like it and in my head I was trying to do that Al-Anon thing of like and this this is so this is such a like a, a Al-Anon dichotomy thing of like we get sober we learn that like sometimes we're at fault and then the the other piece of the puzzle that is a, the struggle for the rest of our life is like okay, do I need to set a boundary or are, am I crossing their boundary or what mm -hmm. is going on? And I, I was like trying to tell myself, like, give this person a chance. Like not everyone understands, you know, it's like, I was, I was trying to be, I was trying to be a good trans, the good trans coming to CBS. Um, yeah. Model and, minority shit. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Every day, though, then IOP I became an unsafe place for me psychologically because every day I'd come in and every day he would, in one way or another, a every day he would misgender me. He would call me dude or senor or mister. And uh, he would make comments about my appearance, telling me what a handsome guy I was, which is also against like the rules of our rehab. Like there's no like harassment there's no harassment there's no like dating this is not a place to find someone to date like that's very clear the guy yeah. like um and I was so checked out and I was talking you know I told a friend in IOP who I'd become close with um like offline like oh my god I know this guy like I had this experience with him <laughs> and and he started to get so annoyed by Ralph that um, he complained to his therapist and was like, there's this new guy in group who is constantly misgendering my friend. And it's, and it's really upsetting. Um, and, you know, the other thing was like model minority trying to be also, yeah, model minority model sobriety, like as someone who had relapsed, but like had time in a lot of ways, I was often the only person in the group with tools. Like a lot mm. of these people were just like 
getting sober for the first time and had no idea what the accountability was or like uh, communicate, like, you know, just, so I felt like it was my obligation to have patience. And this person clearly like there was something else. It wasn't, he wasn't malicious. He just wasn't hearing, you know, there was something else cognitively going on that just like was beyond just not hearing me. But at what, at some point, we were all in group exchanging phone numbers to like share meeting links outside of IOP. And he um, texted me and um, <laughs> the, the moment for me where I was like, okay, I can't anymore was um, he texted me again and was like, hey, man, blah, blah, blah. I want to go to an in-person meeting with me this weekend. I really need new sober brothers. And I just responded very thoughtfully and I was like, Hey, you keep misgendering me. It's not okay. Thank you for the invite. Um, here's a, here's a link of resources and tips on like how to be an ally. I really hope you read it. Um, because what you're doing is hurtful to me. And it's also just like hurtful to trans people in general. Um, and instead of reading it, he just like immediately responded and in defense and was like, well, you know, you have to be patient with people because, you know, uh, not everyone's going to understand. And if you look like a guy, then, you know, what, how, what do you expect me to call you? And it's like, uh. I was like, okay, I really hope you read that article I sent you. Cause I think it would be really valuable. And like all the, all the things he was doing was just like all the, all the basic no-nos in this, um, article I sent him from, I think, glad, you know, like glad.org or whatever. Yeah. It's just a very basic like outline of like, yeah, don't center yourself in the narrative. Listen, like apologize and move on when you misgender someone, just like basic shit, you know? Um, so at that point I was just like, really hope you read the article. Like I hear you, I hear that you're struggling with this, but again, I really hope you read that article. Um, and then he was like, okay, there was, you know, there was a pause and he said, okay. And then, um, then he was like, you know, sometimes I like to wear women's lingerie and I do drag really good and let me show you. And it was just like this barrage of like, my name is, is unicorn glitter and I am a New York classy socialite with an edge. And he just sent me, this was all like un, unsolicited. He was like, and look at me. And it was like, it was a middle-aged man in like street hooker clothing drag it was not i've seen the photos drag it was not (laughs) it was um it was so it was so affirming for me Mm. and my gender that's and that's also a like uh oh this is the truth like this is waiting for all that moment yeah yeah i had been it's the aha moment for him Mm -hmm. yeah and i had been waiting for this moment since the moment i met him and he asked me those questions and it was like well there it is and it was so gender affirming for me because i was like oh right this is a man who for entertainment and or sexual titillation um reasons like puts on women's clothing and gets excited about it I've never worn fishnet stockings and I'm a woman. Those are two very different things. Like Mm -hmm. this man, and he he was very clear too. He's like, but to be clear, like I'm a man and I I use he, him pronouns, but I like to dress up real good. Like 
you know, a New York classy socialite with an edge, which is the most inaccurate description of what he presented to me. Oh my God. Um, but it just, that for me was a, the boundary where I was like the tipping mm-hmm. point and B um, it was so affirming. Cause I was like, Oh, right. Like my womanhood has nothing to do with clothing. Nope. It has nothing to do with whether or not I paint my nails or wear a, a, a mink coat or like fishnet stockings or like whatever the fuck. Um, and I've, you know, I've never worn heels. I've never worn, you know. Don't, they're maybe terrible I will for someday. you. Maybe I will someday, maybe I won't. I don't have a particular desire to. Yeah. It doesn't make me any less of a woman. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the moment that I was like, okay, this is unsolicited and I like this is this is sexting now and I, I I don't feel safe in group so long story short like I had to have a lot of talks with you know my therapist and then the program director and they removed him from group and the thing the thing was and I it's not like I'm proud that I got him kicked out it was very sad and very emotionally like complicated for me I, I felt really complicated yeah. about it but the reality was the aha moment for me that I should have seen and that my friend who I told in, in IOP from the, from the get go, who was on upset on my behalf when I was just like, just be, I just trying to be patient with him. You know, it's like, not everyone understands the bottom line was like the fact that the moment he met me the second time didn't recognize me and asked me the same questions meant that I didn't need to give him any more chances he didn't even recognize that I was the same person. And he clearly didn't hear me the first time when I told him that the questions he asked me again you were, weren't you okay were, to ask And trans- you weren't the first person that oh, he yeah. asked. Oh, yeah. Or the sure last. That, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And that was that that was the reality. It was like, I should have, sh- whatever, should have, could have, would have. The, the lesson for me was like that anger that I was pushing down that was like, this is not okay. And that I can't believe that this person doesn't even recognize me and is like dehumanizing me and using this language. Like those were all feelings that I couldn't handle because they didn't feel safe. And I'm not used to like justified anger, you know, justified anger is really complicated in recovery. And the gift of like this experience was realizing that like, I'm allowed to be angry and I can turn, I can channel that anger into boundary setting and boundary enforcement and, um, and, and like advocating for myself, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the one other thing that I learned was like, it was really hard. It became like, you know, uh, it became complicated on a, on a bureaucratic level because it was like the program director had to get involved in like, I had to have a one-on-one with the program director to explain why I didn't feel safe with this person. And no one had a full picture. Like the reality was there was a different therapist hosting group every day. And each one only saw a little snippet of like, oh, he misgendered, he misgendered Mm -hmm. Lena there. Or like, oh, he said this other, I haven't even said like half the problematic things he said in group that were just crazy. But, um, but I had to, I had to really stand up for myself and, there was a moment during a conversation with the program director where he said, um, you know, I spoke with the, I spoke with Ralph and, and he showed me some of the texts and, um, and I don't know what texts he did or didn't show him. I don't know if he showed him the whole picture, but he, but the program 
director was like, I'm just trying to understand like how we got from point A to point B. And that, that was a, this was a real awakening moment where I felt anger. Mm -hmm. And what I said was, you know what? I'm actually not interested in having a conversation about defending my patience or the chances that I've given this person or my politeness. I'm not going to have that conversation with you. I can tell you of all the times that he has crossed my boundaries and all the times that I explicitly, implicitly set boundaries, the, th the therapist set boundaries, other people have complained. I can tell you about all those things, but I'm not going to defend my politeness or my patience. Yeah. I don't feel safe with this person. And I'm newly sober again. This is a matter of life or death for me. And I need to feel safe in IOP, you know, yeah. like it was, it was really, um, it, it was empowering and, and hard um, mm -hmm. to do, but it was such a learning moment for me because now I'm learning in other ways too about different areas of my life where I can set boundaries. Um, and, it, and that anger doesn't have to turn into rage. It can just be, um, it can be a tool. Mm -hmm. Justified anger can be a tool if you channel it correctly, you know? Yeah. You got to I'm sorry. It was such a, yeah. No. You got to examine it for sure. Yeah. You got to examine it. it. You, you just got to examine it and understand like, you know, where, where am I hurt? What's my 50%? I love what you said about Al-Anon. It's like, that is a struggle. It's like, we're at first we're like, yeah, this is my part and I'm sorry. But like, at some point you, you know, if the conflict continues, it's like there, there does have to be some reflection by both parties. And I, I yeah. think you handled that like really well. And also dealing with the institution of a rehab is difficult because there's a lot of moving parts. And sometimes the right hand does not talk to the left hand. Yeah. I mean, Dave and I yeah. both worked in that environment. It can get crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, and I get it. It's like, it's no different than any like, corporate or business environment where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. And I had empathy for like my therapist too, who initially was tasked with being like during one of our therapy sessions, she had to be like, so we have a problem. Like Ralph has been suspended, but we can't ban him from group unless there is a definitive reason that someone else is unsafe for his being there. And she was put in this position, like the program director who I'd never spoken to, who also didn't have the whole picture, like had delegated her to like, give me this unfortunate news and be like, so what do you want to do about it? And it's like, I was like, look, I'm so sorry that you have to be put in this position, but like, I need to talk to the program director. Cause like, I don't think anyone has the full picture here. And um, I need everyone to be very clear. Yeah. And the bottom line was like letting them know that part about the fact that like, he had met me in real life prior and like this was a repeat offender was like they both apologized to me they apologized to me the institution apologized and wow. I'm so grateful to them it it was um it, they did the right thing and I feel like I did the right thing and it was um for me and it was a learning experience and I'm really grateful for it as tough as it was oh my gosh well, and I, I specifically think it was important for that story to come out in its entirety. Mm -hmm. um, and I can only speak for me, but being a cisgendered person, sometimes we... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm sorry, what were you saying? 
I'm sorry, cisgender man. Please continue. <laughs> I I roast the cysts. The cysts. I'm gonna start calling cyst people cysts. S C I S. Yes. I roast the cyst that I love. You know. So I'm I'm a proud masculine cyst in a lady body. I get it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Dave, what were you going to say as a cis man? I'm so well, sorry. I'm so in general, sorry. Like our, so our opinions uh, aren't important. Uh, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Wait, can well, I, can I just pause? Anyway. Can I pause and brag for a second, Dave? Do you mind no, if no, I no, share? No. Let, 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 me, let me finish okay. the thought. <laughs> it's important for people to hear that story in its entirety because a lot goes in to feelings and thoughts and how uh, the trans community I've perceived has to educate people about, instead of just being like, hey, don't do that, and then be being done with it. I feel like, for me, it's important to hear the story and to be a person, like it should be my job to tell someone, not yours. Okay, because I understand it and it's less um, tumultuous for me emotion wise because I'm not a trans person, but to be in a position where I can educate the little that I do know and impart it on, you know, another cisgendered person or someone that's, you know, it, it would be otherwise way too taxing and repetitive that you've had that conversation so many times that that, that story in its entirety on this podcast for anybody listening. Um, and forgive me if I'm misspeaking, but this is not an uncommon thing for a trans person to have to go through on a regular basis. And, yeah. and that is not a special scenario. Like it, it is, that is, sounds to me like that is a cookie cutter thing that people do to trans people on a regular basis that, that we need to just stop from happening and 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 you were apologizing for the length of the story but like it, it serves as a capsule for anybody who's listening in my opinion uh, which as a cyst person doesn't matter but in reality yeah. that like people need to hear this in order to educate themselves so yeah. you don't have to send them a glad link you know, yes. yeah, yeah, and, and but it is going to take time, and it's going to take more opportunities that are not your responsibility to educate mm -hmm. people. But it's going to take more content being put out in the space, yeah. Uh, so, so that that sixty-plus-year-old man who who doesn't know any other way can like learn in in a way that like leaves the job up to them and not you. Yeah, I hope that I hope that made sense. That is so on point, and I, you know, it, like that makes me think of. Are you guys familiar with uh, Brene Brown? Yes. Yeah, she's a sociologist. Um, she teaches at the University of Houston, where my mom's getting her MSW right now. My mom's like obsessed with her. She's great. She's a sociologist who's like spent her career um, researching shame and cur courage mm -hmm. and bravery and these things that really tie into recovery um, and wellness and like. But what's beautiful about it is that it's like, it's it's qualitative, but it's qualitative data and it's backed by science and research. And it's like, no, these things are, human connection is vital. Like shame is is the struggle, you know? Um, she, she talked on her podcast recently about shame and accountability in, in regards to white supremacy. And like, 
that it was such a great little nugget um, where she basically, I mean, her definition of shame, and I think we we all know this feeling because it's such a part of the like addiction disease is like Mm -hmm. the belief that we do not deserve human connection and, Mm -hmm. and yeah, or that we have been severed from it. It's the difference between, sorry. Yeah. She quote, to quote her shame is our guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I I am bad. Yeah. I am bad. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, what is, what I, what I really took away from this one episode of her podcast was like, my, the gift and job that I have as a white person with white privilege is, especially during this time, holding other white people accountable for racism in a way that is not shaming, that is humble, and that, yeah, I don't even, what we were talking about was, um, I was just making a really profound point, agreeing with you, about where what was the last thing you heard well i i don't quite it, you yeah. i do remember that your face was like beautiful <laughs> and like just in the camera but i think yeah i think did, you I, were, freeze bef- did I freeze before dave finished talking about um like just cis people educating other cis people about yeah okay. just you, after you yeah, okay you freeze just after i finished that it's it's yeah. uh you know, let, once again, this guy has in. the last okay. word. Let's all clap in. So okay. we're back after the freeze. And, uh, you know, I was just finishing up saying, you know, that as a cisgendered person, it is I feel a, a duty to educate other cisgender people. And so it's not the responsibility of, of trans people to always be the educators. Amen. Amen. And I, I wanted to just piggyback on that in saying that like I've been thinking a lot about um my responsibility as a white person in regards to like all of the police Mm -hmm. brutality shit that's been going on and like the fact that we you know we live in a white supremacist society and like need to acknowledge that and my job I believe as a white person is to use my privilege to hold other white people accountable for their racism in a way, people in my personal life, in a way that is not shaming. Because as like Brene Brown talks about, uh, like shame is is the belief that you're undeserving of human connection versus guilt, which is like, I did something bad. Shame is like, I am bad. And shame is so tied up in like our alcoholic thinking and like just the cycles we get trapped in that block us from growth. And so holding other people accountable without shaming them has to come from a place of humility. And like one way that I see I can do that is if I see someone in my life who's white making a remark casually that like is insensitive and they don't necessarily realize it, I can say like, hey, that's actually not an okay thing to say. Um, I've made that mistake and this is an alternative. Or, you know, like, because I think it's again, it's like not the job. <laughs> it's not the job of black people to explain to us why they don't deserve to be murdered by cops. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and I, well, all I can do, you know, because there are spaces that where uh, it's, you know, 
my job is not to centralize my narrative as an ally, as a white person. It's not to be mm -hmm. like, listen to me because I'm white, but because I have <laughs> white privilege, talking to other white people who often, you know, so much racism that happens that we're all complicit in because of the, the society that we're built, you know, that, that we're born into and that's built around us. Like so much of it isn't intentionally malicious. It just, it's often without thought, you know? And so there are, yes, there are people who are white supremacists and actively trying to like harm others. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us just aren't thinking consciously a lot of the time. And so I agree, like, and I really hold that in my heart. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately with everything that's been going on. Like, what can I do to, to hold other white people accountable and educate them instead of making it people of color's responsibility to explain why what's going on is not okay, you know? Yeah. And I, th I think it needs to happen IRL, mm -hmm. as the kids say, in real life. Like, I, it just, to me, more and more, more and more... Uh, we think that that the task is to be done on the internet, but it needs to happen with your neighbor or yeah. that at that random stooge in the meeting. You know yeah. that 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 says, unbeknownst to them, a terrible thing. You mm -hmm. know, and it's just like it's time to uh, it's it's time to unmute at that point and be like, yo, that shit ain't cool. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's have a conversation after the meeting on why that's yeah. not cool. Yeah, it is hard during a pandemic. It's hard to have those IRL conversations. Although one experience for me has been the fact that like, I'm stuck in quarantine with my mom who I love, who's insane. And her husband who is, who I also love, who is, um, he is very much like of the libertarian persuasion as is the luxury of cisgender white men so often. Mm -hmm. I, shout, I out to, shout out to my sissies. <laughs> Shout out to my sis. Um, I, I this is just my opinion, but like libertarianism, and I'm learning a lot about it because I've never lived anywhere that's not coastal. And being in Houston, realizing that Texas is very much its own thing. It's very much a libertarian state where you have, you know, places like Houston, which is the most diverse city in America. There's no racial majority here. Almost a quarter of, it, of uh, residents are immigrants. It's super liberal. Like you know, weed is decriminalized. We had a gay mayor, like super, super liberal. But then you also have like people who are like religious freedom, like give us our rights. So mm -hmm. like libertarianism is this weird space where it's like, well, freedom to do anything, but like freedom to oppress others versus like freedom to not be killed by police. Those both fall under, you know, the idea of mm -hmm. liberty. So how do we negotiate that? But we, you know, I've had conversations with my stepdad that were really, um, that have been really like cool and sort of like bridging that gap. He, you know, he grew up very poor, like very poor in Nebraska. And I think that like, especially poor white people have the biggest hurdle to get over when it comes to understanding white privilege, mm -hmm. because it is both their white privilege and their lack of privilege mm -hmm. that blinds them to their privilege. Because guess what? It's classism. That mm -hmm. racism is a me mechanism to keep the lower class down. Mm -hmm. and, and so that that's a that's what tells poor white people like you're different and low key or better. You mm -hmm. still experience the benefits of it, but classism looms just above it, mm -hmm. oppressing mm -hmm. everyone. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And 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 keeping the infighting, keeping, mm-hmm. you know, the um keeping the proletariat like stuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so speak. sorry to go there, but like, okay, we're gonna throw in some Marxist rhetoric. Yes. Um <laughs> like and so I've had some amazing conversations with him where I've sort of gotten him to see, you know, he's not a bad person. He's very much like he's a Joe Rogan, you know, he's like he fancies himself a devil's advocate. And it's like <laughs> okay okay cool like you know he's very open and accepting of other people doing their own things but then you know the word privilege comes up and he's like I think we use that word too much and and people and it's like I'll give you I'll give you a perfect example of like sort of like a uh watershed moment in our like communication and and sort of me taking inventory early on he came home he he works um like in San Francisco for weeks at a time, then comes back for a few weeks. And um, he came home and and we were talking about the election and he was like, yeah, fuck, like fuck both candidates. And, you know, we were all like, yeah, fuck, you know, fuck. I mean, it's, you know, between a rock and a hard place, but um, he's like, that's why I'm not going to vote. And my mom and I were like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) And I, and I flipped out. And, um, you know, my mom started to say, like, you know, my mom's getting her master's in social work. She Like, it's so weird. I'm living with, like, woke mom. And we have these, like, really, like, genuinely, like, powerful conversations about white supremacy. And she's just, like, so on it, you know, on this level. And, um, and she's, you know, she started to say to him, like, if you don't vote in this election, like, this could have, this could end our marriage. Like, that's, that's how important this is. And I... And I, we had literally just heard a headline on the news like 20 minutes earlier about uh, a few trans women in LA that day or the day prior being like attacked with mm-hmm. a, um, like a, like a pipe or like, there, there was like, did you hear about this? Do you remember yeah. this? It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was like a public assault of a few trans women on like Santa Monica Boulevard that people were like. TikTok record, you know, like people were standing around recording it. And it was like, then we had my stepdad saying, you know, oh, I'm not going to vote. And I interjected in a moment of anger when my mom was saying like, you know, this could affect your, this could affect our marriage. And I said, fuck your marriage. Let's talk about my life. Let's talk about my personhood and the fact that there are people who want to legislate me out of existence, mm-hmm. you have to vote in this election. It matters. Um, and we all like got into this like three-way fight. And then it was like, oh fuck. I just like was very hurtful to both of them because I said, fuck your marriage. And I didn't mean like fuck your marriage. It just meant in the grand scheme of things, like let's set aside that and just talk about like the safety of me in public and what mm-hmm. this election could, you know, portend. Um, and so then I had to go and like call my sponsor and, and look at my part. And it was like, okay, I should have worded that differently. And I got to, I got to apologize and say, Hey, I, you know, I love you and I value your um, marriage. And I just, you know, I got heated because I'm scared, you know, we're all scared and we're all scared about the same things. We're just reacting to it differently. Mm-hmm. And, and bottom end of the day, like the, the other thing was, you know, he, he's been thinking about getting a gun for a long time ever since he moved to Texas. And my mom's like, 
okay. He's like, you know, in he, he I wouldn't say he's a he's a prepper, a doomsday prepper, but he he's got that libertarian thing of like, we may as well stock up on stuff. You know, we live in Texas, we can afford space and we've got, you know, let's just like have our, you know, safe, you know, little bubble yeah. and do our thing. And, you know, it's been an ongoing conversation. And he had a he had a dream. Uh, he, he had a series of dreams where when he was away for work where he kept like our house kept getting break, broken into and he either wasn't there or he couldn't get to us in time. And he kept having these dreams about like being un- unable to protect us. And which is like, you don't need to analyze that. Like it's obvious. He just being away, he's yeah. felt away, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but uh but when the foot when the police cam footage of George Floyd came out, and you know um, he went on Facebook and saw that um, some people in his family were like, despite the blatant just like murdering up like in cold blood of this man, who was asking repeatedly like to be you know let go of or not you know like saying I can't breathe, like they're incontrovertibly murdered. He saw people on his Facebook feed from his Mm -hmm. family who are conservative, like Trump supporters who he hates, say, see, he was resisting arrest, like (laughs) not what he asked for. And he had a moment of realization. And he said, you know, I realized like I've been wanting to get a gun not to protect us from rioters or looters Mm -hmm. but to protect you guys from people like my family members who could see that and all they see is someone getting what they deserve you know Mm. and so we made a deal that he gets to have a gun if he votes (laughs) hey so um you know we uh we made compromise. And I'm with him. I'm getting a gun. I know which one I'm going to get. I went shooting the other day. I love shooting. I'm good at it. Like, <laughs> well, and they've been, they're, they're like art they, for fun. They do archery. Like my mom's like a nationally ranked archer. Oh my um, God. That yeah, is they're... so hard. That is so much harder than shooting a gun. BTW. Oh, so yeah. hard. Yeah. Takes so much strength, like, mm-hmm. and precision. And, but yeah. So, um, that was a cool learning experience for all of us that like we're all we're all afraid about the same thing and we're just reacting to it differently and that was cool to be able to kind of like bridge that gap and yeah. come to a compromise well and it also feels like you guys reach that you guys reach a level of forgiveness in that exchange yeah. and that is the next question in the 12 is how do you experience forgiveness um I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be harder once I'm in my step four, my new step four. And, uh, and then, then a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I think right now I'm like, again, sort of in this bubble of like pandemic, unemployed, living at home with my family. I have the privilege of getting to just focus on sobriety right now. And I'm taking my time, slow, slow variety, you know, but um, in, in theory, forgiveness, I, uh, how I experience it is, um, I don't, I don't have a lot of, 
I, I do have that, I have learned that sort of recoiling from a hot flame with, with resentments in the same way that I do with alcohol in that like, I can't, I don't have, I don't have enemies, you know, like I can't think of, I have people that I have things to work out with, but when it comes to like, like feeling wronged, I just, I don't have the, for the most part, I don't have the time or energy to like Mm -hmm. be angry when someone apologizes to me, bring it on, like, you know, bring it on, bring it in, except for if you're Ralph, because I gave you a lot of chances and it's too late. And to (laughs) be fair, Ralph would have a raging boner. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, But yeah, it's like, forgiveness is so, is so um, beautiful. I think I experience forgiveness as a, one of the most like noble things that we can do as people. Especially for ourselves, like forgiving yeah. myself is yeah. that, that's it's uh, I'll forgive you, but forgiving me is the hardest. Right. You know? and well, it's harder to see what it should look like. I feel like with ourselves, we need someone else to like hold up a mirror often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My sponsor used to tell me, uh, quit being mean to my friend, Anna. I like her and she doesn't deserve it. And like, that was, that was very pivotal. And Mm -hmm. I just, you know, it, it leads to the next question of like, you know, getting into amends or apologies, like what's the weirdest apology or most interesting one or most profound or amends? Mm. Yes. Okay. Um, Living amends. Um, one of the realizations I had when I was really sick is just um, just like how historically codependent my relationship with my mom has been. Um, she's an amazing human. She's one of my best friends. She raised me to be inquisitive and um, un- unapologetically so. Um, and I wouldn't be who I am without her. She also had me when she was very young and there was a lot of emotional volatility and co-parenting happening between me and her, of her and me. And a Same. lot of times, <laughs> and a lot of times we're like, I mean, my, I mean, my earliest, like, I don't say, I don't hold on to this in a resentful way, but it's just a fact, like my earliest memory is like her screaming at me in either like a grocery store or a parking lot or maybe both in front of other people like maybe four or five years old saying like you're ruining my life because I was being stubborn about something you know just like the adult fully having a tantrum you know what I mean yeah you were being Um, five is what was happening (laughs) yeah and so like my mom has been sober my whole life and um she doesn't go to meetings anymore um but she has tools. I just get resentful when I see my, my woke mom now, especially getting her master's in social work, like being so on it and just like so conscious, conscientious of like her privilege and her place in the world and like the problems. And then it's like, but what about art? How come there's still like, how come you don't apply that to our relationship? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like, it's like, there's, we have such a history and, and patterns that it's like, I can't just expect either of us to like be a different person overnight in our dynamic. And one of the cool things about living with 
heard during this pandemic has been like, I feel levels of, sometimes I mentioned this earlier, like sometimes I'll just like look, look out and like see her like working in the yard, in the backyard, you know, gardening or like doing stuff because they're like building stuff out there, like cleaning it up so they can um, re-landscape. And I just look out the window and see this woman who's so strong and who I have levels of like love and gratitude for that I don't think I've ever been able to feel, like really feel it, like feel, see this woman who's my mom, who fought for me, who is tough and and so smart. And like, and also, um, you know, she's still young and, but now she's middle-aged and it's like, I also see a woman who like, who's endured a lot and who had a difficult childhood and who had a difficult child rearing experience. I was not easy. Um, I needed to drink from the moment I was born. No way. No way. (laughs) Can you imagine me being a difficult child? I mean, I, I can't, Um, (laughs) but, uh, but I just, I have so much and I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to express it more. I mean, the the best way that I've been able to express my gratitude so far is just to like get sober and like yeah. do the work because she's provided the space for me and all you know she tells me like all I've ever wanted for you is to like just to be happy you know mm-hmm. um and so like I am fe- I a like I so it's there's not even whatever it's like there's not even anything to forgive it's just like I'm so in acceptance about the strengths and weaknesses of both of us in our dynamic historically. And I have so much gratitude for, for her as a person in a way that I've never felt before. And she's totally insane. And also like my best friend. And it's like, it's a work in progress, (laughs) but um, I mean, you, you were telling the story of me and my dad in so many ways you know, and it's just like, I'm, t- I'm a little misty. I'm a little misty. It's beautiful. We're also fully losing our minds. Like we haven't, you know, we haven't left the house in six months. We live in the suburbs. Um, there are now five cats and two to three humans. We are outnumbered. My mom <laughs> goes to these, my mom goes to these weird estate sales and um, buys weird things like vintage bonnets and then wears them around the house or when she's gardening, I usually found swishing around the house in like a bathrobe kimono. It's full gray gardens. Um, <laughs> it's, we are losing our minds. I found, I was, one of the great joys that I've had since getting sober again is rediscovering my love of music making. And so I've been playing piano a lot, which is so healing and beautiful. But I was rifling through my sheet music that I printed out the other day. And I found a printed out invoice for like a set of, bonnets vintage bonnets from a from a an estate sale that said like card declined invoice payment due and I was like okay this is this is insanity this sums up like the insanity happening in this house there's this we overdrafted on our bonnet budget like what is happening here um but um the cost of bonnets is too damn high (laughs) the cost of bonnets is too damn high amen um 
but she's amazing. And yeah, we're, I'm so, I know it's like so cheesy to say like, everything's a gift, but it's like, I really do feel like mm-hmm. this quarantine and this opportunity to literally return to my family of origin to do some healing is like so amazing. Yeah. I'm so grateful. And I can't wait to like get back on my feet and be a fully self-sufficient adult again. And we'll be living my life as a woman and be able to like, make my mama proud, you know, and, and be, and live my life happily and, and be self-sufficient. And yeah. And it's giving you a chance to like revisit what like spirituality means to you with like the music and then being home. Mm. It's like a coming back to uh, try to be reborn. So yeah. right now, pandemic uh, living, what does your day-to-day spiritual practice look like? Um, I suck at prayer and meditation. <laughs> I love, um, my sponsor keeps telling me, and <laughs> this is, oh my God, this is a good joke. So my sponsor keeps telling me like, I pray when I brush my teeth in the morning at night cause I'm lazy and it's like just an easy way to like kill two birds with one stone. And I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Cause I, I, I suck at remembering and meditate and pray but I haven't been brushing my teeth. So like, I mean, I'm not going out. Who's smelling my breath? Like I take a shower every few days. Like this is, <laughs> This is my pandemic life. So I need to find a better way to, I have a dentist appointment on Friday. Thank God. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a few years overdue. Um, but in short, my, my, my spiritual practice is I need to brush my teeth more often. No, um, I mean, just right now, it's really like going to meetings, giving freely of what I've found and like connecting with other alcoholics and answering the phone or texts when I when I can, even if I don't want to, and being of service, you know, like it's, so I guess my spiritual practice is more on the service and recovery side and the, or service and unity side right now. Like I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm on step three. I need to make a God box according to my um, sponsor. And I've decided that I'm going to cover it in photos of Janelle Monet donning different, um, gender non-conforming looks which is rad yeah that's perfect that's a good that's a good base that's a good base for what your higher power is starting to look like yes i mean my 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 sponsor's higher power is mr rogers and for the longest time i was like wait a second you can't have people as your people places or things as your higher power but i realized like oh no it's mr rogers persona public persona Mm -hmm. which is absolutely something you can have as a higher power because it represents ideals that someone is aspiring to and putting out there and that's what we do in 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 our spiritual growth is we aspire right so for me right now and it might change but like for me when i visualize my higher power it is absolutely janelle monet's music persona being gorgeous and gender bending and telling me like i am exactly enough and that um i'm beautiful and whole and exactly who i need to be you know we made it to the end oh did we do so we did the 10th question but like the i think the 11th has been covered right yeah yeah Yeah. That, that was a very concise what does your higher power look like perfect i love it um what is a 13th step here? Oh. 
Um, Anybody single? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. What is? Who's got a hallway we can hang out in? <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! No. Well, truly, just... I think the greatest takeaway of like my year and a half out was that like David Lynch movies are happening at all times, everywhere across the world. And we have to be part of the solution by like freeing people of those motel rooms and scenarios and just being part of the, the light and the solution. Yeah. Yeah. I always describe to people me using it as a teenager was basically the movie Gummo. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I want a mustache, damn it. <laughs> I want to look like Brent Reynolds. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. What is one thing you want to tell somebody just like you in the world? Just like me. Um, um, if you're trans, if you're queer, if you're gender nonconforming, if you don't feel like you have a gender, which is also valid um, and really cool that someone in recovery recently who was figuring out, like, I don't, I identify as agender. Um, if you don't feel like you are the gender you were assigned at your birth, whether you're in recovery or not, like I encourage you to explore, research, go on Reddit forums that don't seem too toxic, but also like take everything with a grain of salt if you are trying to, you know, research who you are and what is out there in relative isolation, which right now we all are. Find people who will love you and celebrate you no matter what and know that you are valid, whatever you are, whether you're figuring it out um, or you've figured it out and you're going through a change or you're changing your mind. Like gender's a construct. We only have so much time on this planet. So let's try to live our lives in a way that feels good in our bodies and makes us feel most free when we move through the world. Yeah. Yay! And, and the plane has landed. Yeah. Oh, mic <laughs> drops all over this pod. Oh my gosh. Both parts, just mic dropping <laughs> everywhere. Oh my gosh. Lena, where can people find you? Yes. Um, I. I just updated my um, my Twitter handle um, to my new name and my username. I'm double checking, but I believe it's unfortunately Lena. Um, <laughs> just unfortunate Lena. I hate to break it to you, but it's me. Um, and oh, then uh, I, love I think on Twitter, I mean on Instagram, it's okay, Lena Epstein. Um, but yeah, find me on Twitter, tweet at me, um, send nudes, um, cash app, Venmo me money. Um, I love you. <laughs> but yes, follow that, follow that Twitter. Uh, Lena is hilarious on Twitter and it has been such a joy to watch you come back because there was a moment on Twitter where I could tell I was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Rut row. And <laughs> but it was like it was like way late in the game. I didn't I didn't know. And then yeah. um you yeah, know if anyone wants to follow my my relapse, they'll just like scroll back at Twitter and see like funny, <laughs> funny, weird, and then like, oh, silence for six months, and then 
Uh oh, yeah. <laughs> Follow the arc. Follow, Follow the follow, arc. Join me on my journey. <laughs> it's amazing I love you, this has I love been you great. too this has been Dave great. I love you and I and I and I love, love you that you're a cis man and I I think that your voice is just <laughs> as important as anyone else's um thank you for being uh an ally and and committing to uh like correcting other fucking people when they're saying dumb shit Oh, we're, trying we're, we're, we're trying out in these cis streets we're trying oh my gosh you, you well are. dave where can people find you uh you can find me being a cisgendered male <laughs> pig over at at yates comedy on instagram and twitter that sounds hot and steamy it really is. I want to go find you being a cisgender male on, on that website. That sounds fun. It is It is very fun, especially because he sells Ha Ha Hot Sauce, which is delicious. Ooh. Um, and so Spicy. please please support Dave and the pod by buying that. Um, you can find me at Anna B is Fun on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me on AnnaBellensWheela.com for show dates, information, bookings. Um, please follow this podcast at 12QPod on all platforms and Gmail if you just want to reach out to us. Um, we already started the Love Fest. Lena started us up on the Love Fest. So I just feel like we just have to tell everybody, guys, if you're listening today, we love you. Love you. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Oh, my gosh.